You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today, we're going to start a brand new series titled On Purpose, On Purpose. We just wrapped last week our series on prayer, and uh, I referenced a story last week that I'm actually going to have as the foundation for the next three weeks as we talk about this series, uh, On Purpose. And uh, if you're taking notes, the message title is, you're going to eat that? You're going to eat that? Uh, I think there's two kinds of people. There's people who leave way too much on their plate after they're done. Uh, my daughter has a way of, she doesn't like crust. She got that for me when I was a little kid. I'd eat peanut butter and jelly and I'd always leave the crust. I don't know why that is. It's just something psychological. You're like, I can't eat the crust. It's just not gonna happen. Uh, I'm, I'm thankfully over that. I've had growth. Growth is possible. Uh, but one of the things that's always funny to me is there'll be something, she'll have a cheeseburger and leave the outer edge of it. And I'm like, why don't you eat that? Because it's the crust. <laughs> no crust. Uh, but, but hey, uh, there's there's. Some of us are like that, and then some of us go, hey, I don't care if there's crust, I'm going to eat it. In fact, I'm going to eat my food, and you're going to eat that? I'm going to have some of yours too. Uh, my wife doesn't like sharing. One of my favorite places that I've ever eaten at is In-N-Out Cheeseburger, which is on the West Coast, started in California. I, 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 just, you, you, I don't think you've lived until you've had an In-N-Out double-double and a chocolate milkshake. So anytime you get to go out uh, to fly California, go stop by in and out uh, But one of my favorite things there is they'd have a big old box of fries and we'd, we uh, got smart. We started dumping our fries into a bigger box. So we just like chow down. But the problem is I eat really fast when I'm eating those fries and Genesis slow down. I want some too. Leave some for me. And, and the problem is what we're going to focus on today. We're going to talk about appetite. Uh, but we're talking about a different kind of appetite, not for French fries. Uh, Luke chapter 4, if you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 1, we're, we're just after a moment that is probably one of the most significant, uh, just public declarations of who Jesus is in the entire New Testament. And it happened at the Jordan River. Jesus comes to the Jordan River after 30 years of obscurity, of being hidden, of, of you know, we, we know of his birth as Jesus left heaven. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that the Son of God became the Son of Man, that, that Jesus emptied himself of his divine rights and privileges, came to earth, humbled himself so much that he came as a servant to lay his life down on the cross. That's amazing. The King of glory laid down his life in that way. Jesus, born in a manger, born in a filthy, dirty manger in Bethlehem, hidden and obscure in the world's eyes, then spent the rest of his adolescence with one exception in hiddenness. And he's in a place called Nazareth growing up. In fact, we, we don't know much about the first 30 years of the life of Jesus, the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, uh, or the earthly life, his ministry started at 30. But, but here's what I want you to see. At Luke chapter four, verse one, after the father has spoken at the baptism at the Jordan River, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. That's why he's called John the Baptist. Come on. I had somebody that asked this one time. This guy, this was funny. I thought he was telling a joke. He was a, he was a deacon in a church I was serving at, and he walked up to the pastor. He said, do you know why they called John the Baptist John the Baptist? And we're waiting for the punchline. Like, I don't know why. And that's what he said. The pastor said, I don't know why. And, and he said, well, do you know why they called Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I don't know why. And he, he said that not because he didn't know the answer, but because he was thinking like, there's gotta be a punchline. Like, what's your joke? 
And, and that guy at the next deacon meeting said, this pastor doesn't know anything. He doesn't know why. <laughs> in Luke 4, verse 1, though, right after the baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and the voice of God the Father speaks out, shouts out over Jesus as heaven is open. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. I just love that. The Father looks down as Jesus is being baptized, and, and, and the Father looks and, and speaks over the Son of God and affirms him before all the people present that this Jesus is the one in whom he is well pleased. He, he's like, I can't, I can't wait to shout it from heaven. That's my boy. And then Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the river and it says in verse one, Luke chapter four, verse one, being filled with the spirit. What did the Holy Spirit do for Jesus when the Holy Spirit descended upon him? It says it right here. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. It is God's will for you and I to be filled. Filled with God, filled with the Holy Spirit. And right after that, it says something very interesting to me. Interesting because it doesn't make sense in the natural. It doesn't make sense to the way I would figure things out. If I'm, I'm planning how Jesus is gonna be put on display to the world, to preach that the kingdom is here and, and to, to, to heal the sick and to open blind eyes, if, if, if I'm wanting to plan out how the Messiah is gonna be publicly declared to the nation of Israel, it wouldn't be the way that it happens here. Because he's led by the Spirit and watch what happens. It says he returned from the Jordan River and he was led by the Spirit, not to the public halls and not to the synagogues and not to the great places of power in the world, but he was brought to the desert. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert. I don't know about you, but that just doesn't make sense to me. When, when God leads us, wouldn't he always lead us into what's easier? Into what's more public, where it can be celebrated by others. In fact, Jesus, after 30 years of, of relative obscurity, is now led by the Spirit into the desert. And it actually says while he's in the wilderness, the desert, verse 2, he was there being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, Jesus was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. As I told you last week, the thing that the enemy does Today is the same thing he did with Jesus there and has done since the very beginning in the garden. He calls into question the truth and the authority of what God has said. He, he, he wins the battle by causing or trying to cause us to question the truth of the word of God. What was the last thing the father said? You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the devil comes along and says, oh, well, if you are the son of God, as if that might not be true, the devil comes to test him and tempt him and, and, and Jesus is led into the wilderness and here's why he's led into the wilderness. If I could fast forward a little bit, the reason why is he's entering the wilderness by the spirit, by the will of God to be tested. And there's actually two tests. The one test is obvious, the, the test of the devil. See, the devil comes to test, tempt for this very purpose, to undermine, to thwart the purpose of God to destroy, to steal from your life, to rob you of your future, to undermine your faith and your integrity, to, to, to take you off course. That's why the devil tests. But you know God also has tests, and they're not like the devil's tests. But just like the devil tested Jesus in the wilderness, God actually, the Father, had a test for Jesus too. And the tests of God are never to tear down, never to tempt, and never to destroy. In fact, here's why God tests. 
God's tests are always to qualify. They're always to prepare. They're always to promote. Jesus, before he would go into the public place and begin to heal the sick and open blind eyes and do what he was sent to do, before he did any of that, he would first be tested. And the first test is what we see here, the first temptation. The first test of the enemy, the first test of your calling, your purpose. In fact, I call this series On Purpose because Jesus was led into the desert on purpose. I had years ago, uh, in fact, it was that same church where the guy asked about John the Baptist. Uh, I, had, I was in my very first early morning prayer meeting. And there were only three of us to this prayer meeting. We, I, I get there, and I'm a brand new pastor, brand new youth pastor, brand new on staff, and, and I'm trying to be, I'm, you know, I don't know anybody, so I'm like, you know, smiling and saying hi, and I, I, I don't know what's about to come next. Um, I, I get in a circle, and we hold hands, and, and the guy to my right, right before we, actually, no, it was while we were praying. We start praying, and we're praying for the church. We're praying for uh, our families. We're praying for all this. He takes his hand with my hand clasping it, and then he wipes the sweat from his forehead with the back of my hand. And aside from the cringe factor and me going, what in the world just happened? I've never had that happen before. Some of you are like, oh, that's why I never hold hands. I, I kind of like peek over, you know, like, that just happened? And he looked at me. We made eye contact. And he said, I did that on purpose. Okay, <laughs> nice to meet you too. <laughs> well, let's just say that when God leads you on purpose, it's always for your benefit, for your good, for promotion, for what he's trying to prepare you for, because there are some things he wants to bring in our life that he has to test us to be, make sure we can handle it. Like there's some things I pray for that I may not be ready for. Like I may not have the character to hang on to that if I'm not first tested. See, we, we, we promote in the world, like in the last few years, especially, I know we've got a lot of people that you own a business, you hire staff, maybe your manager, and, and, and the last couple of years have been rough. Like, sometimes if somebody can breathe, they're qualified. You're hired. <laughs> Please show up. Like, you're here twice. Awesome. You're now the assistant manager. You're here. <laughs> And, and, and we, we promote because of a lot of things. We promote because of personality and charisma. We promote because of education. We promote because of experience. And, and there's lots of things. And they may all be good. They're all necessary. But can I just tell you, God only promotes what he's first tested. God promotes what he's first tested. And the first thing that happens with Jesus is he's hidden. And I just want to tell you, if you're in a hidden place right now, it doesn't mean that you've missed the will of God. There's some deserts I've been in because, man, I, I knew what God wanted and I was running the opposite way. That's a surefire way to get in a desert. But there's some places that are hidden that are because God's put you there. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness because what was needed in that moment was testing, preparation. Deuteronomy 8 is actually what Jesus quoted from when he when he rebuke the devil about uh, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Satan came to him, tempted him, 
It says, if you are the son of God, verse uh, three, command this stone to become bread. I, I, I would paraphrase this. I don't know if it says this in the Message Bible or, or one of those, like, like, command this stone to be olive garden bread six. If I've been fasting for 40 days, those bread sticks looking good. And, and Jesus is tempted with what he's actually hungry for. It said in verse two at the end, he's hungry. Being hungry isn't the sin. It isn't a bad thing. Jesus was without sin. That hunger indicated a need that was yet unmet. And the devil tempted him not with what he didn't desire, but with what he did desire. The devil will never test you and tempt you with what you don't want. He will always test you at the point of desire, at the point of hunger. And Jesus' response is this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 8. And I wanna take you there. If we can put this on the screen. Deuteronomy 8 says, you shall remember the Lord your God who led you all the way these 40 years in, there's that word again, the wilderness. Why did he do that? Well, there's two reasons. To humble you, in other words, to make you dependent on God to make you recognize your need of God, but also to test you to know what is in your heart. Now, God knows everything, so he already knows what's in your heart and mine, but many times I don't know what's in my heart. I think I'm ready for stuff I'm not ready for yet. And God tests to prepare. He tests to promote, and it says, so he humbled you, verse three, and allowed you to hunger. Oh man, that doesn't sound like goodness, like we sang about today. No, here's why it's goodness, because read the rest of the verse. He allowed us to hunger, allowed them to hunger, and fed them with manna. You didn't catch that. He, he allowed the desire and the need and the hunger, but he also brought the answer. There is not a need in your life and mine. There is not a desire in your life and mine that you're hardwired with that God doesn't already have manna for. He doesn't already have an answer. He doesn't already have, and the test is always in, will I allow God to meet that need, allow God to bring about his purpose and fill that area of my life, or will I try to settle for something temporary? Will I do it my way instead of God's way? It's in the hidden place that we discover our purpose. We discover who God is. So we discover how we're wired and created by God. Dude, uh, James chapter one, verse two says, my brethren, count it all joy when you face temptation or various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith, not temptation, testing, that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be mature or perfect. Doesn't mean without fault, but it means literally maturity, completion, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So what's the point? James says, hey, listen, I know this is like nobody's favorite verse. <laughs> Count it all joy when you face trials. Woo, trials. <laughs> Sign me up. Nobody wants a test, but here's what happens. Here's what, I already told you what the enemy's trying to do in a test, but God tries to, God is testing to qualify. Now, one of the biggest differences, I, I corrected it, because the devil tempts, God doesn't tempt with evil. Oh, God's just trying to see if I fall. No, that's, that's not God. But God is preparing us. He is qualifying us. He is getting us ready for something greater. And if you're hidden, you may ask, why in the world am I hidden right now? It means that I'm not, I don't matter. My life doesn't, no, no, listen, that's a lie. In fact, you're hidden. God only hides what's valuable. Did you hear me? 
You're hidden because of your value, because of your worth, because of the promise that God's preparing you for. And it's in the midst of waiting, it's in the midst of testing that we're prepared for the very thing that God has made for us. The first test is the test, though, of appetite. I'm gonna give you three points today dealing with this issue because the first thing the devil tests Jesus with is the issue of hunger. He points to a need that Jesus has in that moment because Jesus for 40 days is fasting and it says he's hungry. His desire is there. And there's something in your life. You are actually on every level, there are areas of your life where, where you have a, you're hardwired for a need. We need relationships. We need people. We need food, we need water. We also are wired spiritually. That's why people in the farthest corners of the world believe in something. They're hardwired to put their faith in something because you're created for more than just this world. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, if I find in myself a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, it actually means I was born for another world. And so there's, there's areas of our life that we have needs. But the issue is how we fill those. Point number one, self-control is needed to pass the test. I found this definition recently of self-control. And it's this, it's when I have a legitimate need, but I try to, or excuse me, I refuse to fill it with an illegitimate source. What did Jesus do when the devil's tempting him? The devil comes along and says, if you are the son of God, prove it. Turn this stone into bread. He didn't tempt him with what he didn't desire. He tempted him with his hunger. And that's always the issue when it comes to the issue of appetite. The first test, if it's appetite, it's can I control the desire enough? Can I have enough self-control to say no to what's illegitimate and so that I can be ready to say yes to what is legitimate? Okay. So, so the universal problem in most families is this, don't eat snacks before dinner. <laughs> Your mom ever tell you that? Like, stop eating snacks before dinner. You'll what? Ruin your appetite. <laughs> How many took that advice? No, you didn't do it. You're like, I snuck the snacks. I was eating the snacks. I, I, Listen, if, if you've got filet mignon, why are you settling for Cheez-Its? <laughs> you know why the enemy brings that temptation is so that we'd fulfill different desires in our life, different areas of need in our life, different hungers in our life from illegitimate sources outside of the will of God, outside of the purpose of God, things that will not feed us long-term, that will actually bind us instead of what God wants to bring, which sets us free, which brings us into the purpose of God. It's what we're wired for, created for. Uh, Proverbs 25, 28 says this about self-control, though. It says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Self-control is the boundary. It's what allows you to pass on the Jesus to say yes to something greater. There's, there's a great story in Genesis 25. In fact, let me, let me read it with you. Uh, Genesis 25, it's a story that highlights this probably better than any other in the Bible. And it's two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob would go on to be the, the, one of the patriarchs and one of the forefathers of the Israelite nation. 
But before that, man, he, he played some tricks on his brother. And one day Esau comes home, and let me just read it. As the boys grew up, Jacob and Esau, they're twins, but Esau is the oldest. Esau is the firstborn. And Esau became a skillful hunter, and he was an outdoorsman. I like this guy already. He's a man's man. Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau, Isaac being the father. He loved Esau because he enjoyed eating some barbecue. Come on. He enjoyed the wild game that Esau would bring home. But Rebecca, the mom, loved Jacob. So, so Jacob's a mama's boy. And Esau, he's a man's man. Like, he's going to go out there, and he's going to kill something and barbecue it. And one day, Jacob was cooking some stew, and Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. He's hungry, and he's tired. And Esau, if you don't know this, at this time, if you're the firstborn, every child, every son would get an inheritance, but the firstborn got a double portion. So like they got an inheritance times two. And they were the head of the family. So Esau is the firstborn. He's got something that Jacob doesn't have. But Esau comes home and he's hungry and he's tired. And here's what he says to Jacob. I am starving. Have you ever said that? I'm starving. We just ate 20 minutes ago. I'm starving. I got to eat something. I'm starving. That's what happens when we allow thoughts and feelings and even hungers and we allow those to dictate the narrative of our life. I'm starving. He's not starving. He's just hungry. Give me some of that red stew. Verse 31. All right, Jacob says, but there's a cost. Trade me your rights as the firstborn son. Man, that escalated quick. It's like, I want soup. Okay, give me your inheritance. Look, I'm dying of starvation. And watch what Esau says. What good is my birthright to me now? Do you know what Esau's doing? And I know Jacob would go on to be, God would redeem his story, and Jacob would be, you know, forefather of the faith, would one day his name would be changed to Israel. But can I tell you in this story, he's much more like what the enemy does in our life. Comes along and says, hey, I got a snack. I got a bowl of soup. Trade me your integrity. Trade me your confidence in God. Trade me your future. Trade me your promise. Trade me what, what God has planned in exchange for something temporary. Let me give you a bowl of soup. That's why Hebrews 12 would later say, don't be like Esau. Make sure that no one, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. Imagine that. Esau traded his inheritance, his rights, his future, his everything, and he traded it for lunch. When we can't have self-control in an area of our life, we allow, we, we allow things that are unmet by the right source to be fed temporarily by the wrong source. And the issue is it always costs us in the end. Maybe it costs us because we're too full to recognize what God wants to bring. Maybe it costs us because it undermines something that is actually meant to last. How many times are we offered shortcuts in life? 
If you, if you just hide those numbers, you'll advance in your career. If you, just, if you just pursue that girl, if you just go in that direction and there's the bowl of soup right in front of you that's, caught, that's, that's hey, you need this over here. Instead of what God's, God's got filet mignon, church. <laughs> Don't settle for Jesus. We settle all the time and the enemy comes along and he brings something that offers a shortcut. But I'm hungry. I'm starving. I'm always going to be single. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm always going to be broke. I got I to gotta get rich quick. I'm always going to, and there's all these different things that we have that look like shortcuts, but they cost in the long run because if they cost your integrity, if they cost your faith, if they cost your marriage, if they cost your relationship with your kids, they're not worth it. If it takes you away from God, it's not worth it, no matter what it seems to fill today. Don't be like Esau. What does he say? He says, I'm starving. Every feeling first starts with a thought. And the world has deified feelings, like we have. We've elevated feelings to the place of this is the thing that should rule your life. You are your feelings. Your life is your feelings, your future, your identity, your per all of that. But here's the problem. What if my feelings are lying to me and telling me I need that soup? I need that short-term fulfillment. I need that short-term fix instead of recognizing there's something that God has that's so much better. That's why self-control is the start. That's what helps us to pass the test because we begin to say no to the thing that's short-term. And yes to what matters for eternity. Yes to what matters in the long run. I'm starving. He starts with a feeling. But that feeling first was a thought. Do you know the enemy fights? In fact, I mentioned this last week with how there's the fiery darts, all that. The devil fights with thoughts. He comes along with a thought. It's like the comment section of YouTube. There ain't nothing good there. There isn't. And the devil comes along with every, he, he is absolutely convinced he deserves a comment on your life and he comes along to Jesus. Well, if you are the son of God, prove it. Turn the stone into bread. Fill your appetite now. Feed yourself now. Do it my way. Don't listen to the comment section. You know, just because even something's permissible doesn't mean it's beneficial. Doesn't mean it's gonna help in the long run. Number two is live on purpose. And this is actually what helps us to walk in self-control. Because if we're honest, you know, I, if we had a choice between broccoli and birthday cake Oreos, I know which one I made this week. But we don't wait until the testing to make the decision. It's always harder in the moment of temptation or testing to decide what you're gonna do. Here's what we need to do. Daniel chapter one, verse eight. I, I wrote a whole book on this years ago. It's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And it starts with this statement. Daniel purposed in his heart. Let me give you a quick background on Daniel. Daniel's a young man taken from his home, his family, everything he's ever known, taken from his homeland of Israel where he's serving faithfully God. And he's brought captive into the court of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. And this court is not just a place of power, it's a place of corruption and immorality. And even the food itself, even the, even the food that's offered there is offered to false gods and idols. 
And to participate in the meal was to, in their culture, to worship and honor the gods of Babylon. And Daniel comes into that environment and he already decided before he entered, this is who I'm gonna be. Here's what it says. He purposed in his heart. You have to pre-decide before you end up in that place of temptation. Who am I gonna be? What am I gonna do? You need to decide beforehand. Make up your mind before you enter the test. Daniel did that. Daniel purposed in his heart. He said, I'm gonna live on purpose. Number two, if I didn't give you that to you, is live on purpose. Daniel decides, I'm gonna live on purpose. I'm gonna make the decision before I enter the trial who I'm gonna be and what I'm gonna stand for. It's always easier to compromise, to go along, to get along. I'm just gonna go with the flow. This is what all my friends do, so I'm gonna do that too. And, And we just go along. All the while, we're hanging with Esau. And there's something so much better God is inviting us into. Daniel and his friends, oh, it would cost them. This decision to honor God and in fact, they didn't participate. He says he purposed his heart not to, to defile himself with the king's delicacies. It was the best food in Babylon, best food, but it cost something. It would require their character. It would require them to compromise their values and who they are. And the world is always shouting to compromise. The devil doesn't care if you get promoted. He doesn't care if your business is successful. He doesn't care if you have 10 kids. He doesn't care about any of that stuff as long as you're willing to compromise who you are to get there. And Daniel, would it cost him to obey God? Oh, it would. It would look like being thrown in a lion's den years later, but God was with him. He didn't decide in the lion's den, am I gonna honor God? No, he decided back here. His friends didn't decide when they were challenged, bowed down in worship, an idol made in the image of Nebuchadnezzar, am I gonna honor God? No, they decided beforehand. And God preserved them and protected them and brought them through. You gotta pre-decide who you're gonna be. Uh, Vision's important. Vision's important to us. We share that. It's biblical. The Bible says without vision, people perish. Uh, What does that mean? Well, without a God vision of your future, a word from God, without revelation, New King James says, people perish. So so God wants, you know, last week I, I shared vision about the church, where we're going. Vision's where we're going, but values determine who you'll be when you get there. And we don't just need vision for churches and maybe you for your business. You need vision for your life, your family, your marriage. You need a vision for your your calling and your purpose, why you're here on planet Earth. And, And vision's important. But you know what's also important is who you're gonna be. And it comes in the moment where you purpose in your heart, where you decide this matters. It matters so I won't settle. It matters so I won't cut corners. It matters so I will be honest when I need to be honest. There's every reason to lie. I'm gonna bless people that hurt me. Oh, oh, I know uh, sometimes we think the need is I gotta hold on to this grudge. (laughs) I can't let this go. If I let it go, it means what they did was okay. No, no, you know what you're doing? You're holding on to something temporary and it's costing you in the long run. Okay. Purpose in your heart. Live on purpose. 
First Peter 2.9 says that you are a chosen generation. Some of you, me, church, you're chosen by God. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. You've been set apart by God for his purpose. The third and final thing, if you're taking notes, is respond. Here's how we do the first two. Here's how we predecide, and here's how we walk in self-control, because it's not easy, but here's what makes it possible. What does Jesus say to the enemy? The devil comes along and says, here's how you should feed the need. Turn this stone into bread. Jesus responds with, man does not live by bread sticks from Olive Garden alone. No, he doesn't say it quite like that. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The issue is what we feed on. Just like Deuteronomy 8 said, for every hunger, he fills. The desert, the wilderness, the hidden place is the place where we recognize our hunger. I need something. I need help. I need, I, I need that. I want that. And we begin to recognize it. The issue then next is where do we go to fill our heart, to fill our life? Where do we go to meet that need? And I believe that every need, God has a purpose and a plan for fulfilling everything that you and I need. And, and this is important. Here's how the New Testament says it, Philippians 4.19. My God is able to supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ. God can provide for you. God can heal. God can, God can bring the right people into your life. And he can also help the wrong people go too. It's quiet in this church today. But the issue is we need to respond according to God's word and not our hunger. If we live like Esau, we're going to be moved by, I'm hungry, I'm starving, I need that. And we will pursue our feelings and our own thoughts to ruin. Oh, but he's got something so much better. Jesus said, we live by this, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. D.L. Moody, a great preacher century ago, said, uh, the Bible will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Bible. There, there's, two, there's, two, there's two desires at work. There's two forces at work. And the issue is, which one am I going to allow to fill me? And if I allow God's word to begin to fill my life, and I feed on the word of God, it will change my desire, because the devil cannot tempt you with what you don't desire. He won't. There's some stuff that, man, it's not an issue for you and maybe a big issue for somebody else. But he knows what's an issue for you. And he knows what he can try to present you with and say, if you just eat this bowl of soup, you'll be fulfilled. You'll be happy. You'll be... Can I just tell you, Esau was hungry the next day. That bowl of soup did not last as long as his birthright would have. There's always a cost. Uh, Psalm 1, we're almost done. Psalm 1, Jason, if you want to come up. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Notice the progression. Keep that verse up, verse one. Um, he walks, and then he stands, and then he sits. Well, I'm never gonna be like them. 
Who you walk with, what you walk with, what you feed your life in will be ultimately where you take a seat. If you're around bitterness, you'll become bitter. If you're around offense, you'll become offended. If you're around compromise, it just, it'll begin to fill your life. And, and yet, here's what he says, but the blessed one, blessed is the man, fulfilled, happy, satisfied, supremely happy. That's what that verse means, whatever that word means, blessed. But his delight, the person who's blessed, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's not talking about like a legal code. It's the word of God. In Hebrew, it's Torah. It's the, they had the first five books of the Bible when they wrote this, uh, verse, Psalm 1. And so here's what he says. His delight is in the word of God, the law of the Lord. And in his word, in his law, he meditates day and night. And I know what you're thinking. When you hear that verse, meditate, it means like, okay, I should go to a mountain. I should chant something and think of butterflies. That's not what meditating is, biblically speaking. The world's form of meditation is to empty yourself. Here's the problem. Your soul is created to be filled with something. And biblical meditation is what this word is. It's simply this, to, to feed on. To feed on. And, and the analogy of this word indicates is, is like a cow that chews the cud. I, I don't want to get too graphic for anybody who's a little squeamish, but a cow has four stomachs. And when a cow eats some grass, it swallows the grass into one stomach, and then it regurgitates the grass. And it chooses some more. Thank you, Jesus, we're not cows. Man, church Pollock would be a whole lot different. But what, what's, what's it describing? It's describing a continual chewing, a continual process of absorbing, of s- focusing on, of studying, of speaking, of, of prioritizing the word of God. And then it says day and night. In other words, if I feed on this, it'll fill my life. And you know what God's word will help you do? It'll help you to recognize that source is illegitimate. That source is just a rock. It's not bread. It's just, it's a snack. It's not a meal. It's just a, it's a shortcut, not purpose. And that'll cost me something far greater that God has planned. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you today. first test was a test of appetite. If you're going to win the test, if you're going to pass the test, overcome the enemy's plan and follow God's plan, there's going to be a moment where you're going to have to decide, I'm going to feed on the right thing and stop turning to the wrong thing. There's going to be a moment where you're going to have to decide between what's eternal and what's temporary. What fills today believes me empty tomorrow. Jesus passed that test. Here's the good news. He passed that test for us because we've all had moments where we failed that test. Yet, while we fall short, he never does. And Jesus paid the price for our sin, for our failure, for 
what separated us from God so that we could be made right with God and get back on track, walking in the purpose of God. God hasn't changed his mind about what he's created you to, to do and to be. Doesn't matter how many detours you've had. Here's the, here's the good news and maybe the tough news. You can take that test again. The good news is there's redemption, there's restoration. You know, there's some tests I've failed that God just brought me right back until I was ready. Why? Because he's good and he's got something he's trying to bring into my life. There's also things that, man, he keeps us from, not to withhold from us, but he, it's because he's got something so much better. Are you hidden today? Do you feel hidden? Do you feel like, man, I've been following God and now I'm just, he brought me into more hiddenness. I, I feel you know, my wife's story, she started serving Jesus and she had a real good group, group of friends, always around a lot of people. And then she moved to Arizona, was isolated for a while. But it was in that place where she was isolated that she got to know Jesus in a way she never would have with the crowd. And maybe your hiddenness has a purpose. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We'll be out here in just a moment. But I want to pray for you. Altar team, if you come to the front. I want to pray for you today if you're in a hidden season. I want to encourage you that if you're hidden, it's because you're valuable. <laughs> you're valuable. What God has ahead of you is, is too valuable to, to miss. And I know others may not see it and you may feel like others are passing you by in life, but, but you're not. You've got something that God's uniquely created you for. There's a promise with your name on it. And you matter to God. I don't know who I'm telling this to, but there's some, like you, you really felt alone. You feel like you're forgotten. And I wanna remind you that it was in the wilderness. It was in the desert that Jesus was tested, but it was where he was qualified for what came next. It says that Jesus in Luke chapter four came out of the desert. You're coming out of that season. You won't stay there forever. But Jesus came out in the power of the spirit. What started as he's filled ended in power. In between was a test. Maybe God's trying to get something out of you that's buried that's just for one person, it's, it's, it's worth it. I'm telling you, the most important season of my life was not when people recognized it. Oh, far from that. It was, it was when it was just me and Jesus. It was there God would test and change and transform and prepare me for something that was better than anything I would have settled for. I'm gonna ask you today, if you're in here and you don't have a relationship with God, no matter how far you are, God loves you. No matter how much you've run from God, that was my story, I ran from God. I ran as far as I thought I could, but I couldn't outrun him. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. It starts with a moment, just like this, when you allow the love of God to enter in 
and you surrender your life to Jesus. Religion cannot fix, the world cannot fulfill, but Jesus can redeem, restore, give you a future and a hope. And here's the thing, he gives us a home in heaven. It's beautiful. Forgiveness, freedom. If you're in here with no one looking around, you say, Brian, that's me. I need Jesus in my life. I need God in my life. I've tried it my way. And I need him. Maybe today you've been a Christian, but man, you've just been far from God. And maybe along the way, some things took you off course. Today's, here's the good news. It's never too late. You're here. He's drawing you. Would you say yes to him today? If either of those are true of you and you say, I want to give my life to Jesus today, would you pray with me? I want to lead you in a very simple prayer, but I want you to respond to God right here and now. Lift your hand. Say, that's me. No one looking around me. Say, that's that's me, Brian. I need Jesus. I need God in my life. Thank you. Would you pray this with me? I'm asking every person in here to pray this with us to encourage them. Pray this from your heart. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior. Be Lord of my whole life. Today, I give my life to you. I surrender everything. I give you my past. I give you my present. And I give you my future. Fill my life. Feed my life. And lead my life in Jesus' name. One day, the disciples come to Jesus and he says, I have bread you know nothing of. They get confused. They're like, well, did somebody bring Jesus lunch while we were gone? And he said, my bread is to do the will of him who sent me. When you begin to walk in your purpose, your created purpose, the two most important days of your life, Mark Twain said, I love this quote. So it's the day you're born and the day you find out why. You discover your purpose, it becomes bread that feeds your soul. Don't settle for Jesus. You got filet mignon in the kingdom. Come on, somebody. We love you guys. If you need prayer today, it'd be our honor and privilege to pray with you. Our team's here. We'd love to pray with you. Have an awesome rest of your day. Have a great Labor Day weekend. Thanks for joining us today. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.